I see a little silhouette of a man, technically five men, Charles Muir, Jorge Taranji, I apologize for that, I pronounce it differently every time, Callum McCauley, Eric Anderson, and Alexander Almeida, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will they do the Fandango? Probably not, but they will be faithful spoilerites, and this one goes out to them. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm back! I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this Ichu Ichika Bachika Muteke Nakaze Kimi Wo Michibiku Mezase Chizo Ninai Basho Wo Mavaroshi Nanki Je Nainda Tata Hitotsu Jibun Dake no Takebra Mano Dare Mo Sagitze Shere Tu The Major Spoilers Podcast Iono Sekai Wo Kairose Welcome to issue 449 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to have you here downloading and listening Yay! this week. Also glad to have Matthew back. Oh, I missed you guys. We can only keep you, though, for 30 minutes. We didn't get enough donations this week to keep you the whole time. Dope will be back in the basement, Mr. Schleicher. It's dark and there's something sticky. <laughs> uh, there's a Pee Wee Herman joke in there somewhere. Uh, a lot of things going on this week, including a discussion of The Sixth Gun. Uh, later in the show, uh, some of us are already big fans of this. But first, let's get to some news. God, so I missed A couple of items that we can talk about this week. We can talk about Stan Lee getting a pacemaker. Uh, Fox, 20th Century Fox hiring Mark Millar or Mark Miller. And Mark Webb and Andrew Garfield return for Amazing Spider-Man 2. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. I know Zach wants uh, the Spider-Man 2 one because Zach looks just like Andrew Garfield. I like, mm-hmm. I like a Spider-Man. There it stops on number two, 20th Century Fox hiring Mark Miller as a creative consultant as they get ready to reboot the uh, Fantastic Four franchise and the X-Men franchise, taking the X-Men franchise to the next level. Tell me again why we couldn't have an intern who actually looked like Emma Stone. (laughs) (laughs) Because Uh, uh, our HR person said that it would be bad to have the you and and she mix. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. That restraining order is 30 yards, which is clearly the width of the major spoilers offices. X-Men and Fantastic Four franchise is still a 20th Century Fox. Sounds like Fox doesn't know what they're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. So they've hired Mark Miller as a consultant to help guide the movies. I really, I really hope that on his first day, he rode into it, like into the, their offices and on a motorcycle. Uh, The tweet uh, yesterday or today, depending on when you're listening, was... Drunk in a park in Glasgow, uh, Fox execs, I hope you're not reading this. No, nice. So, <laughs> I kind of had an image of him riding in on a white charger and going, all right, you bastards, let's fix these movies. Because I'm Mark Miller and this is how I talk. <laughs> I had an image of him just, you know, kind of just walking into a building nonchalantly and just going about his business. Is this the desk? Do you have a, a batch for me? Is this where is this where I pick up my batches? I have a vision of elevator. Third floor. I, All right, thank you. I have a vision of Mark Miller walking into the offices as a head getting stuck in the door because it's so big uh. and inflated <laughs> after this. I mean, the guy. I mean, he, he has some skills. I, I liked Wanted. I like Kick Ass. Mm-hmm. I like what he did with. Um, the early Fantastic Four stuff in the Ultimate Universe, and certainly what he did with uh, the Ultimate, the Ultimates. But 
I don't know. I I don't care for him personally. Mm-hmm. Professionally, it's different, but I don't care for him personally because I think his ego gets out of control. And I think this is just another one of those things <laughs> that is going to make him even more unbearable. Now, there's some people that may disagree, but I'm just like, ah, you know, the, the uh, Mark Miller machine is going to go cranking into overdrive and mm. blow its gasket before, right. before too long. Well, and I, I think you have a point in that Mark Miller's major skill set other than writing, and don't get me wrong, I agree, he's, he's written some great stuff. He's also written some utter crap, just like most of the other professionals in the industry, and that's cool. Mark Miller's major skill is, Yatata, I'm Mark Miller, and this is how I talk. He's a self-promoter. He is a relentless. Oh yeah, he puts P.T. Barnum to shame. I mean, oh yeah, he's he's a Vince McMahon. You know, he's. I think he's he puts a, Vince uh, McMahon to shame. Yeah, except he spells I, I don't know. it. He's a Chuck except Barris there, for him. There's like an A in between the M and the C. <laughs> right. Was that Back racist? I'm sorry. No, it's not racist. It's okay. still offensive. All right, but it's okay. not racist. Sorry. <laughs> but I think what it, what it boils down to for me is this could be wonderful in that. Fox, with their movies, the Fantastic Four movie, the Ghost Rider movie, the uh, what was that one with Jennifer Garner Daredevil movie? Electra. And Electra. Mm-hmm. What they seemed to be lacking was a a little bit of flash and yada da that you know I think we got from you know Avengers we got from the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but it also lacked someone with respect for the properties. To say, you know what, Sue Storm should not be played by a 19-year-old woman. So I think that maybe there is a chance that Mark Miller may actually serve as as kind of the subject matter expert that it felt like they were lacking with those movies. Because with the exception of a few scenes in Fantastic Four 2, those movies didn't feel like Fantastic Four movies. They felt like generic superhero with Fantastic Four names plugged in. To me, anyway. And again, my opinion is... Eh, I mean, so, you know, so uh, the thing that I'm getting from you is uh, Mark Miller is kind of the way I describe him. Um, but he's the one that can write the this, the failing ship over at Fox with these two properties. Rodrigo, dude, is, what are your thoughts on this? I think that, uh, you know, we, we look at this and we, you know, those of us that have been reading Mark Miller stuff for a while and, and we've encountered it here and there, you know... You might be like, oh, this guy is all, you know, all style and no substance, right? All this guy's all no this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, that's not always the case. It's just a lot of the stuff that we've seen recently kind of seems that way. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The other one is that he's uh, in an advisory position. So when, right. you know, he's not writing no. these movies. So when the writer goes, huh, should I have something blow up or should I have people talk? Hey Mark, should I have blow it up? <laughs> so blow it all up. Yeah. So, and which is cool because you know, if you look at the you know the Ultimates, it was written to be very cinematic. Right. There is a lot of the Ultimates in Joss Whedon's Avengers movie. And there is a lot is. of the Ultimates and, there. And Miller let everyone know about that too. And and that's fine. <laughs> which which is fine because mm-hmm. you know what I don't. I think more writers should do that. I think Mark Wade, I don't know if Mark Wade like did a tweet where he scratched his head and looked around over not being included in the credits for uh Doom. I think he probably just let it pass knowing mm-hmm. that everyone else would scratch his head for him. 
Well, and that's what I'm saying is, you know, these, yes, these stories and these concepts belong to the companies, but sometimes, right. but it's those writers that right, put right, them right, there. Right. So this no, that- is, this may very well be Fox, you know, actually doing that research and being like, wow, this Avengers movie was really good. Who can we get that will help us do something like that? And then somebody was like, how about the guy who wrote it originally? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think he's, he's a good choice to write the, the problems and he mm-hmm. can come in and say, just like Nolan is hopefully doing with the Superman mm-hmm. uh, Man of Steel movie, here's what oh. you need to do to steer this in the right direction mm-hmm. so that you can move it away from what came before. That, there's but, nothing wrong with that, and I think that's a good choice. Eh, could there be other people? Sure. But I think in, in this case, this is a good choice. I just, his bravado is what bothers me. Sure. And his bravado can be embarrassing. I think that the 50,000 people who read comic books regularly and know Mark Miller's bravado, 20,000 of those, you know, and speaking wildly, 20,000 of those may go, oh, I don't care for Mark Miller. But the 17 billion people that they're going to have to actually do to make this movie Mm -hmm. successful, they have no idea who Mark Miller is. All they know is, hey, that Dark Knight movie was kind of cool. The Captain America movie was kind of cool. They don't even care that Marvel made one and Fox made another in most cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think Fox is trying to catch some of that lightning in the bottle. And I think that it's a good thing with, with a, a, you know, the caveat of don't give me Mark Miller's Fantastic Four. Give me a Fantastic Four that is something as awesome as the Avengers. It, it shouldn't be Mark Miller's FF or Mark yeah, Miller's I don't think it'll yeah, no. I don't think we'll go And that's that kind of the way, that's kind of the way the, the, the piece felt to me, the PR thing is they're going to, he's going to save us. He's come in to save us. He's got a shaved head and an accent, so he must be good. That's Grant Morrison. That's Grant Morrison, yeah. Okay, uh, you know what? <laughs> Zach, they changed their name for tax purposes. Zach, what do you, what do you think week on this he'll be uh, news? Uh, Mark Millar. Uh, this is Miller. what I know. It's Miller. It's, it's more Miller. fun to say that way. Um, but it's wrong. That's okay. It's more uh, fun to say Galactus <laughs> as Galactos, but it's, it's wrong. No, I don't think it's more fun to say it that way. Ask Rodrigo. <laughs> Anyways, this is what I know of his work. Actually, I like that much better. <laughs> yeah. See, what I like to... It I like like to, a, a morphin robot. Rodrigo! Rodrigo! I, I used to... Uh, that's that's pretty much how I... Uh, when, I'm, when I'm talking to people, I'm like, that's, that's how I... Um, talk about like my former relationships mm-hmm. and i'm like for never was there a story of more woe than that of that girl and her rodrigo <laughs> <laughs> now i must transform and roll out what were you gonna say zach uh i don't know much about his comic writing i know that i liked kick-ass the movie and well he wrote it really pretty much Did i really like the movie yeah really yeah but i watched part of wanted this weekend, and I thought that was ridiculous. That was not stupid. written. That movie was not written by him, right? And it was drastically no. different from then the comic. The book. Oh, I would well, suggest still reading the quite comic. Horrible. Yeah, yeah. The comic book actually had parts of that didn't make you want to gouge your own eyes out. Did he? Uh, yeah. But he did well, write. I mean, parts other he wrote the screenplay, or did he write the comic? He wrote the comic and the screenplay. Oh, well, then maybe he'll do something cool. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> I I, did, I read this and I was like I don't really uh, probably check with the man. Oh, I'm sorry. Next <laughs> I don't time, really care. next time you might want to be more vocal when we're picking out news stories. If there's something, no, that's like, fine. No, okay. it's. Uh, I don't know who Mark. I feel Miller like maybe is. they should get like a uh, different director, a direct <laughs> someone that actually like Nolan to come in oh, and like oh, so yeah. on, like Superman. They didn't get uh, 
I don't know who's running Superman, the Dio or someone to come in and help with Superman. They got a filmmaker to come help make a good movie. That's a good point. Um, although that's now Mark Miller does have a movie under his belt, but I mean, that's a good point that sometimes, you know, people are like, oh yeah, if you bring in a comic book guy, then things will be better. And sometimes that actually doesn't work like you think right. it's going to. Um, and go ahead. I'm a, I'm a little troubled by people constantly saying that we need to bring in Joss Whedon or Nolan to fix a superhero movie. That is not the case. We don't need Christopher Nolan. Well, you don't need Nolan. You fix. just need someone to make a movie. Yeah. Christopher Nolan is not necessarily going to fix Superman. And I think that it's it, it, we're, we're kind of writing ourselves into a corner and we're buying into this, this thing that states that a superhero movie is absolutely a niche market and can't be a widescreen bonanza because, well, there's only three guys that we ever talk about when we talk about directing these movies. I know who can save the franchise. Who's that, Adam West? Flash! Timothy Dalton? No, he's going to save every one of us. Oh. (laughs) All right, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can comment on the Mark Miller being hired as a creative consultant uh, for Fox Studios. Share your thoughts, reactions, uh, mez, I guess, if you want to do a lot of those. Or you can uh, contribute to the conversation and add your, your meaningful thoughts. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will get to some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax. And hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Once again, thank you to everyone who has become a regular donor. Your contribution helps us out tremendously. And uh, every new person that signs up for a recurring donation, a two, a five, a ten dollar a month uh, donation, gets us ever closer to that day when we meet, reach that. That crossing point, when we can cross that threshold and I can start saying, you can quit your job and you can quit your job and you can quit your job and and work for me full time. (laughs) And you get a whale. You get a whale. Steven wants to grow up to be Oprah. Yes, that's right. I'm going to give everybody uh, BMWs. She's she's really rich. Very, very rich. I think you're jealous of the weave, though. Going to say something, probably get me in trouble. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get to some reviews. Uh, We are wrapping up our big month long coverage of uh, DC's Zero Month. So we might as well get this out of the way now with two zero issues that uh, have not been talked about. And we'll go in alphabetical order, starting with Aquaman number zero. Indeed. Well, there are days I swear I would rather have the proportionate strength of a praying mantis than being the lone lost noble prince of the undersea kingdom of Atlantis. But then I think I couldn't get by underwater as well as he does on the ground. And so I picked up Aquaman number zero. And I'd like to preface this discussion by saying something that I usually don't say. And I don't want it to sound negative. But I have seen in four separate places over the last week the sentiment that Jeff Johns is leaving Aquaman, and it's a shame that they're now going to cancel the book. They're going to cancel the book? Or it's a shame that now it's going to suck. It's going to suck? Because 
because Jeff Johns is leaving Aquaman. Oh, Jeff, Jeff Johns. Johns did not make Aquaman cool. Jeff Johns reminded a cynical populace full of jerks that Aquaman was always cool. Who said Aquaman was never cool? Uh, Lots the people, of people who said Aquaman Everybody. was never cool. He talks to fish. Surely uh, have you ever seen an episode of Robot Chicken? Nope. Okay. But I did watch the Super Friends, and I you always thought when, Aquaman was cool we with college? his little... Yeah, Come on, state. fish friends. Dude, let us go and a... save the day. Where do you find a seahorse that big? That thing, would, cool. that thing would wreck somebody. Yeah, it would. Oh, yeah. And he could get <laughs> put, put one under each foot. But the thing about it, and the thing that is very important to remember, is that any character... Any property, any team is only as good as the writing you put into it. And it's not Jeff Johns that makes Aquaman awesome. It's Aquaman that makes Aquaman awesome. Now, this issue, Aquaman number zero, starts at the beginning of Aquaman. For me, that's 1941, but that's because I'm old and cynical. We're going to say it's six years ago because, well, Dan DiDio gave me a dollar. And this issue... <laughs> sorry. You know, I have an issue is, with, that, with that five years ago thing. We'll talk about that what's later. That? No, we'll talk about it okay. later. Go ahead and do your review. But Well, here's the biggest problem. And this is, this is something that I've mentioned before. Jeff Johns starts this issue by giving Aquaman the Batman origin. Aquaman's father, his only known parent, dies on the first page of Aquaman number zero. Uh-huh. And then we get to deal with young Aquaman being about, I don't know, 16, 18 giving up on humanity and leaping off the lighthouse thing and splashing into the water and having his pilot not get picked up by the CW. All in all, when I go through this issue, the thing that I keep thinking is, why did we have to kill the parent again? But in any case, I, I suppose there are three things going for this issue. One, Ivan Rice is on art. <clears throat> Ivan Rice, I believe, has made a career out of picking up books that the other guy dropped. What was his name who started this book? No. Uh, he, Ethan Van Skyver. Ethan That's Van Skyver. Anytime Van Skyver disappears or, or drops off a book, Ivan Rice immediately takes over. It happened on Green Lantern. It happens here. And we basically get the origins of Aquaman, or in this case, Arthur. And he meets a mysterious man, the mysterious man named Volko. Old school Aquaman fans will recognize Volko as the name of uh, Aquaman's Atlantean major domo. And so it's Volko who explains to Arthur who he is, explains what his actual legacy is, what Atlantis is all about. And the issue ends with Volko finally taking him back home to the city. Welcome to Atlantis, King Arthur. That is a great moment. And there are a couple of really, really great moments in this issue. But I, I, I still find myself troubled by the whole let's kill a parent thing. And it, it, it becomes more troublesome when I realize that Jeff Johns does this on every single book. He took over Green Lantern and so killed Hal Jordan's father to give him a reason to fight. Yeah, but, didn't he took Hal over the Flash. but didn't Hal Jordan's father die originally anyway? No, okay. Hal Jordan's father was never a part of uh, Green Lantern's backstory oh, until okay. Jeff Johns. Okay. Oh. Um, and then Flash's parents, both of whom lived well into his adulthood, were killed retroactively in his childhood when Jeff Johns relaunched the Flash. 
And that, of course, was part of what started the Flashpoint uh, conspiracy and restarted the whole New 52. And now, granted, Arthur's father was dead and died back in the 1940s, and that's why he became Aquaman. I can buy that. But it's the first panel, the first page. Of, uh, that, to me, is more of a thematic issue, and it's, a, it's an issue with the writer rather than the story. The story itself works. Four slices of meatloaf for Aquaman number zero. For all of my troubling, all of my, oh, I'm not sure I like this crypto, what it really breaks down to is this is a good story. It's a good character, and it's a good character finally being given respect. And if you drop off the title when Jeff Johns leaves without giving it a chance to see if another writer can still capture that awesome, you are part of the problem, and you should be ashamed of yourself, and you can no longer be my friend. Oh, no. Zachary, it's okay, Zach. What did I tell you? <laughs> that you will get up out of that chair. Exactly. Do you want me to get up out of this chair? Kind of. Because I don't want to. <laughs> <Kinda do>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, you wait till your mother gets home. Young. As, uh, I live on my own. <laughs> I have an apartment in the basement. I bought a TV and everything. My, I even have my own door. My Murphy bed is the greatest. <laughs> uh, that was one of, one of those when I was a kid. Yeah. All right, Zach. Let us uh, head uh, over to. When I was your age. I had a paper route. Let's head over to the Teen Titans. Teen and see uh, if this book entices people to read the series or not. All right, Teen Titans number zero follows the beginnings of Tim Drake as he tries to become the next Robin in the lines of Robins of Batman. Uh, as has been stated multiple times since I have joined this this wonderful podcast, I am young, and I did not know the backstory of Tim You're Drake. You're supposed to say, I am young. Suck it, old people. <laughs> Everyone can just suck it and get behind me. I thought it was, I am young, heartache to heartache. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, no one can tell us where to run. <laughs> no but he wouldn't know that because he's so no. young. That's I have no idea what point. that is. <laughs> Damn it. I pretend Actually, that he grew up listening to KJLS, so... Probably he does. <laughs> I guess that's. Probably. I yeah, pretend yeah. when you call me young Zach, it's just a reference to like Scott Pilgrim. That's what I. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why I do it. Oh, good. Huh. Oh, that's yeah, fun. That's so I'm trying to be topical for all yeah. our young listeners. <laughs> hey kids! Hey! Hey! You don't get that either. So anyway, moving I don't on. Know what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so I looked. I went to the Wikipedia and found Tim Drake's backstory, and it was, yeah. Well, it's pretty much everyone's backstory. His parents died, and. uh <laughs> Uh, but, welcome to DC. <laughs> so, uh, on the left, dead parents on the right. So I read this, and it was fun, and it follows apparently the same thing of Tim Drake. He is smart and tries to figure out who Batman is, and that's pretty much the gist of the beginning. Uh, roughly about the two thirds of the story is him being smart and being awesome at everything he does, and trying to find Batman while also trying to appease the love that his parents has for him and how awesome they think he is. And eventually his dad's like, you can, you, uh, we will do greater things than you can if you stay in this house. So it's up to you if you want to leave. And he didn't want to, but eventually he goes. And. Goes and does what? He goes, well, he, he goes to find, to confront Batman to figure out, Hey, I, I'm smart, and you just lost Jason, so I should be your next Robin sidekick. Mm, okay. And he goes to this 
uh, Big Bird place, and he thinks it's all being narrated by Batman, and it's like, oh, he deduced that I've been sad lately, and so is Bruce Wayne, and there's this company that's uh, been empty for five years, so it'd be the perfect place for the Batcave to be, and he goes there, and Batman's there, and he's like, nope, everything you've been done is what I've been planted, so you should just go home and love your parents like I never could. But he continues to try to find him, and eventually he steals, oh, a hundred, hundred, a sum of large amount of money, uh, a hundred million out of the Cobblepot's bank account, and he was stealing money from the rich and giving it to the poor, and so he steals from the Cobblepot's, and they come to kill him at his house, and Batman goes to save him, and after reading his Wikipedia entry on how his parents were crippled and his mom died, and uh, that's how he became the under the watch of Batman. I expect this to happen, but it doesn't. It actually, his parents stay alive, and uh, how he becomes under Bruce Wayne is his parents have to go into uh, protective custody because the Cobblepots think they're dead, but if they figure out they're not, they're just going to go and kill him because they think they stole their money. So they ask Batman to take him and become, make him become what they believe he can be. So the Cobblepots think that the uh, the parents stole the money, right? Or do they know that? Or does uh, Penguin know that well, Tim stole the money? I think because that's kind of the well one of the many problems that people have been commenting on this is that why would Tim, whatever his name is, be able to be under the care of Bruce Wayne if they're after him and his parents are in prote- mm-hmm. protective custody because that isn't how protective custody works. No, they would like any mobster worth his salt would just go after the kid. Right. Right. Yeah, to get the parent or to get the parents or do whatever. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it, it doesn't make a lot of sense from that standpoint. Yeah, it isn't it isn't say they know he did it. I'm assuming they just tracked IPs to an address and like someone here did it. We should just kill everyone. And ah, I, I, okay. it seems like they think everyone's dead. Okay. Well, they're going to have a hard awesome. time when... Maybe they're, maybe they're going to change Tim's, Drake's name to Damian well, Wayne. here's the thing. He's not Tim Drake. No. His name after oh. everything. We don't even learn what his real name is in this... That's cool. ...in this uh, well, issue. Then, well, then that works out then. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's a good I'm idea. Not sure I like, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not sure I like that uh, fully, but I mean, that's... A lot of people are like, first of all, you take away the one thing that made Tim a great detective in his ability to figure out who Batman was right. and give it to Nightwing or to give it to uh, Dick Grayson and to Jason Todd and to basically everybody else. And now you're taking away the uh, cool things that made the family dynamic work. And then you're now taking away the Drake name, even though really in the old 52, he wasn't a Drake. He was a Wayne. So. See, the, the I, I find that interesting. And I, I mean, I don't... I, I mean, I certainly it certainly opens wanna, up for some other stories. Yeah, I, I don't want to... I, I certainly don't want to pick fights with Batman fans, but I would say that they do that the moment that they make a new character, mm-hmm. the new whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that when you say, oh, well, what I liked about this Robin was that he did this, is like, what I don't like about that Robin is that he's another Robin. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if you... It, like, if this well, character was so thing. cool, what does he, he get his own actually, Here's the other thing. Actually, Everton is Robin. Never is Robin went right to, to Red, Red Robin. Robin. Yeah. Uh, so it was never one of the Robins. I see. So what's so, the problem with that? 
Oh, I don't have a problem Nothing. with that. No, he was just. I was, think that that, just that, that, there was about something about how they actually, actually referenced makes the character more unique. Because Dan DiDio, but part of the reason that they nearly killed Nightwing in Final Crisis was because they didn't feel like the character had any "quote unquote" place in the universe, mm-hmm. being just another grown-up Robin. Especially when they they replaced him with a younger Robin. And I feel like having Tim get his own identity without ever having been. You know, the stand-in for Jason Todd, who was the stand-in for Dick Grayson. That seems like a good thing to me if I'm oh, a yeah. Tim Drake fan. I agree. All right. So uh, I have an issue. I was trying to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a problem with everybody going, well, five years ago, this doesn't make sense in the in the five-year timeline. If I remember correctly, DC didn't say uh, that none of these people existed prior five years ago. The official wording is that the word superhero was not used in the DC universe five years ago from the point that issue one started. So, so when so they Batman go back, was active longer than five so, years. Well, yeah, because in the uh, Batman book, they go back uh, six years before five mm-hmm. years. So they go back 10 years right. and it's really year one 10 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, these people can be active and can have been doing things before this five years thing. But it wasn't until they started coming out of the woodwork with the issue ones and, and really when uh, um, the new 52 kicked off that people started to use the word superhero in the DC universe. And that was one of the statements that DC made at one of the conventions or something at some point. It's not saying that everything happened in those five years, because obviously if you have a young boy growing up in Kansas doing all these amazing things, there were superheroes yeah. around. And when you have uh, what's his name? Captain Comet, Matthew, is that who, who it was? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was 50s, yeah. he was around when Clark was growing up in Kansas before Clark was growing up that other uh, superhero. They just didn't use the term. So I think people are, I think, putting too much stock into this. Well, this doesn't make sense if Batman and uh, Nightwing I mean, and all these things started five years ago. There's nothing that says that that's when it started. Right. It's saying it's, that five years ago, superheroes was not a term in the DC. Universe. I think I think. See, the the thing about the New 52, and now we're talking about the New 52, right. the thing about the, the New 52 that I liked was that they were like, okay, let's take all of these guys and put them in situations that work for them. Right. Um, and you can argue that maybe some of them were successful and some of them weren't, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, you... And then, it, as far as I'm concerned, they kind of then wrote themselves into a corner by saying, basically, the DC Universe kickstarts five years ago Mm -hmm. because Batman like if you think about what Batman is Batman needs to be active for a long time in order to be that dark thing that spooks Mm -hmm. them criminals and superstitious and cowardly lot yada yada yeah Um, Yeah, because in Batman he's just coming back to the city right um, six or ten years Mm -hmm. or ten years or five years before the five year mark that people are are referring to (laughs) so Batman needs to be around for a long long longer Superman can't be around for very long right because of the way he operates and you know you look through various superheroes and it's like how long can Cyborg be around right before he operates how long can Wonder Woman be around before she's a thing and it's like in order for all of those to finally come to a head now different People have to be doing things at different times, mm-hmm. and they have to be active as superheroes at different times, I think. Right. And, you know, they kind of try to try to do that uh, in many places, and hopefully that's what Team 7 is going to do. I don't know uh, what's no. going on with that. Team 7 actually caused more problems with the timeline. So the um, 
in in Batman number zero, it says Gotham City six years ago, so a year before the Justice League Five, appeared. Yeah. Okay, and already Batman was in his uh, doing his shtick, getting in with the Red Hood gang at that time. So, you know, you're right; these characters are around before they were doing things before. But I think people are misinterpreting. The word superhero was not in, it was not a word in the in that DC universe until five right. years ago. From this point, is what's getting people all in a kerfuffle. Um, we're going to talk more about the new Fifty Two in just a moment, but first, let's get to some other reviews. Uh, this past week, or actually coming out this week, Fatal Number Eight from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. It's a series that I have really enjoyed. I think we need to get on that first trade pretty quick. Um, the second arc, uh, Zach. I don't know if you read the previous issues or not. Yeah, just the first two. But in this uh, in this uh, second arc, it takes place mainly in the 1970s. We're still uh, checking with the present-day hero. But uh, this story takes place in the 1970s when uh, Josephine is supposedly in hiding and a B-movie actor and his sometimes on-again, off-again girlfriend uh, stumble upon her and this web of villain villainry of, of evil uh, uh, cultists uh, led by Mr. Bishop, who we saw in the previous arc, uh, all coming out of the woodwork and, and doing some mysterious things. Uh, this is another good issue in that we're starting to see um, Miles, who's this B-movie actor, uh, really being taken in by Josephine and everything that goes with uh, her powers of staying young and seducing men and lots of sex and all that stuff. And it's making his girlfriend, sometimes girlfriend Susie, a little jealous. She kind of f- discovers a box of uh, Josephine's old mementos that show uh, that she hasn't aged in 40, 50 years. And as she's out on the streets, the cultists find her and say, you're coming with us. Uh, because the Mr. Bishop, the head of the cult, is really upset that uh, he can't make contact with the great old ones anymore. And it's basically Josephine and her one of her former lover's faults, because back in the uh, 50s, uh, they cut his eyes out. So he can't, he has, he's missing that one component that connects him with the rest of the, uh, of the evil in the universe. This is, a, again, like I said, it's a good story. It's something that you really have to get into. It's very pulpy. It's very uh, horror-driven. Uh, it's got that crime bent to it like it, like uh, we did when uh, we were reviewing Criminal a couple of weeks ago. Mm. I really like it. I like it a lot. Um, I, the story continues to repel forward and, and engage me, and I'm going to give it 4.5 slices of meatloaf for Fatal number 8. <coughs> comes out this week from uh, image comics go check it out uh the art by sean phillips always 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 good uh rodrigo uh let's talk um what is this dark horse comics this is a dark horse title yes they've had this series orchid out for quite some time the Mm -hmm. 10th issue is about to hit stands this week Mm -hmm. you took the time to read the entire series to this point i did um i was i was looking around for something to read and i realized that um and basically, I was f- flipping through things, and I saw this comic Orchid. I was like, I, for some reason, this sounds familiar. And then I went through and realized that there's a lot of cool covers for, mm-hmm. to, to the Orchid mm-hmm. titles. And I kept seeing them and never really putting them together because they're all really weird. There's like, in one of them, there's like a guy who's you know about to get like burnt with like a, a hot iron, right. and then another one is like a girl running around from running away from a bear scorpion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's like, <laughs> what is this comic about? Um, bear Scorpion. Bear Scorpion. So um, it's a post-apocalyptic comic, and it's basically the um, the 
a record of an uprising. There's a failed uprising, um, and then there's a, a a second uprising as as people kind of band together to uh, throw off the shackles of of their current situation. Um, it's set in a in a really bleak world, um, and it's full of giant monster animals. Right up your alley, which is cool. Yeah, actually, it's weird how we get, and, and maybe we should talk about this in another show. How you kind of end up seeing these patterns, like all of a sudden between Image and Dark Horse, like mm-hmm. this like volley of post-apocalyptic giant monster books kind of right, got right, right. released right. R- roughly around the same time. It's just weird how that happens, and I, and I honestly don't think that there was any like premeditation in mm-hmm. anybody's part in that sense. Um, but uh, so this issue. Um, the, um, Orchid, the main character has come into possession of basically the, the, the most powerful item available and is now leading the revolution. Um, you find that there's a big double cross, uh, and, um, or, or rather it's like you keep seeing signs of this, like this character that is very, um, that has shown signs of maybe being a traitor, then goes and is all treacherous, but also he's still kind of weirdly being helpful. So it's difficult to tell where he's finally going to land mm. by mm-hmm. the end of the, of, of this arc. Um, there is, uh, basically one of the big lieutenants for the bad guy, um, turns on the bad guy. And, but that, you know, it's kind of like a, a the, like the final thing that happens this issue i was disappointed in that i thought that this was a 10 issue miniseries i was like all right oh, yeah, yeah. i get into the tail end i find out exactly what happens now i think it's uh, this arc is probably going to be 12 issues which now means that i'm going to have to keep reading it which is good i mean i'm i'm kind of stuck on it it's got a real gritty aesthetic and i really like that the yeah, art yeah. is really good um and um it's got you know, they take a lot of liberties. They're like, yeah, the genomes went crazy when the when the seas rose or whatever. And it's like because you couldn't have evolution that was that fast to get these like monster creatures that quickly. Right, right. But it was like if you give them that conceit, then it's like, okay. You know, everything else kind of flows uh pretty naturally. I'd give this uh definitely three and a half slices of meatloaf. I mean, you know, I'm not huge into post apocalyptic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but this book really sets out to accomplish a mood, and it does. It's bleak. It's gritty. Um, it's everything always feels dangerous, and there's always like the slightest shred of hope. So it's it, it actually creates this situation where you're like, well, maybe the characters are gonna get out of it, and then like most of the characters get out of a situation. You know, right, o- right, over right. the course of this, you know, most of the characters get out of the situation. It's like, well, at least like you know, two thirds of the party made it, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. You know, so it it actually. It's it's actually a, a really solid read, um, and it was last night at four a.m. Excellent, Zach. Did we get a meatloaf rating on your? Oh no, uh, we almost never do. Um, mm, uh, three and a half slices of meatloaf. Teen right. Titans. I liked it. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure that we had it there. All right, uh, let us take a listen to what Jimmy has to offer this week. Thanks, Stephen. This week I'm taking a look at Axe Cop, President of the World Number Three, from Dark Horse Comics. This is the last issue in the miniseries. This issue has everything that I love about Axe Cop. The issue opens in a secret lab on Mars where the evil bad guy scientist is taking some normal guy and making him into the ultimate bad guy by mixing his blood with the blood of everything. That's right, 
everything. Every animal, every good guy, every bad guy, and every weapon. If you've ever read any Axe Cop, you know that mixing the blood of things gives them the ability to become that thing. So Normal Guy becomes every man, with the power to become everything at once. Back on Earth, the evil aliens had combined Daddy Cobb, the Gorilla Junior Cobb's father from Planet Weird Gorilla, with one of Goo Cop's 13 children named Bob to create Gorilla. To fight this, Axe Cop needs to buy a gun that shoots a pencil that will draw whatever he wants for him, because he's not a very good artist himself, and he uses it to bring Goo Cop back to life, but this time, gold. The Golden Goo Cop and Junior Cobb merge to make a good Gorilla to battle the evil Gorilla. Rather than fight every man himself, Axe Cop goes to the source of the problem and fights that evil scientist from Mars, who has a Dr. Octopus-esque suit with four arms with weapons, a plunger, a claw, a gun, and a very sharp sword, which he then proceeds to cut off Axe Cop's head with. That's right, he cut Axe Cop's head off. But thankfully, Axe Cop has a robotic spider in his neck, and apparently doesn't have a circulatory system, as his head climbs back on without any significant blood loss. As Axe Cop kills the evil scientist, it is revealed that the scientist has a brother, who Axe Cop then promptly decides should also be killed. Once that's all taken care of, Axe Cop returns to Earth, but the ultimate plan of the aliens has been put into action. When Axe Cop holds a press conference to deliver his victory speech, the aliens instead send a robot axe cop that tells all the people of the Earth to kill themselves with knives. Right before they do, robot axe cop receives a letter from the actual axe cop. Now, I hate to step on Matthew's toes as he steps on Steve Martin's toes, but how many people remember a couple years back when the Earth blew up? And we all got on the giant space arc and we went to this planet? And the government decided they weren't going to tell the stupid people because they didn't want... Oh... Well, in this issue, Axe Cop used his magic pencil gun to draw a second Earth and sent every single person to it on a space shuttle, then created exact replicas of every human back from the first Earth, with only one difference. They were all bombs that will explode when they are stabbed. As the people on first Earth all stab themselves as per the alien's command, they explode and destroy both first Earth and the alien's home planet, leaving Axe Cop at peace, which is boring. So Axe Cop, not being content to be president of the world, also decides to become president of karate. The end. This issue is probably the best Axe Cop comic I've ever read, with the possible exception of the secret origin of Army Chihuahua, especially as related by Rodrigo. Axe Cop President of the World number 3 earns 5 slices of chaotically crazy meatloaf from me. As always, you can read more of my reviews up on Majorspoilers.com. Now back to you. All right, thank you for that, Jimmy. And remember, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can check out the, I don't know, the the plethora, the The virtual plethora of dearth. Yes, of uh, reviews that we have over there uh, coming in every day. And now I'm, I'm kind of burned out on DC. Um, hopefully we'll see a lot more non-DC-related yeah, books maybe. over the next yeah. month. So um, Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Why not? Because <laughs> Matthew knows you're burnt out on DC. And now oh, <coughs> so he'll things burned out on DC. <clears throat> Clearly. I've been reading DC comics since 1983. It's time <laughs> for the five people in attendance and their mothers who love them. It's time for the major spoilers. Excuse Bowl me. 
Oh, no, 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 no. What in the blue hell do you think you are doing? Like that, that is not the good. way this works. This is not sing along the with the Mighty King along. Cobra. You do not. It's time. So we were we were friend. talking about the DC Comics, and it's time to talk about DC Comics. So the New 52 wrapped up this week. Or, yeah, this past week. Yay. Not the New Hooray. 52. The Zero Month. The zeros. It's hard to say Zero Month because, you know, we had that whole Zero Hour and Zero Summer uh, some 10 years ago. Oh. Uh, so for some of us, not young Zach, no. uh, the zero connotation may have some bad, ta- leave some bad taste. Well, yeah, zero hour was crap. Pretty much. I mean, it introduced yeah. Wave Rider, right? Right? Are you with me, folks? Zero hour was yeah? crap. Come yes. on. Come on. Hey, how about that Wave Rider, huh? Yeah. yeah. How about the monitor, anti-monitors, huh? huh? <laughs> Not okay, ten. No. Uh, that was the one that had the uh, the hawk and dove. Twist, Wave Rider though. is everything that's wrong with Dan Jurgens. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now that it's done, we want to know what everyone's overall reaction to the Zero Month was. We'll start with Rodrigo because I know he read every single Zero issue. Oh yes, I did. I read um, exactly zero there zero you go. issues. <laughs> um, so, so did you love it? Was it a great concept? Was it good but could have been better? Were you neutral? You didn't care either way. Uh, there was more bad than good in what DC had to offer, or you hated it. This was the dumbest idea ever. No, I don't think it was the dumbest idea ever. I would, I would say that I fall solidly in the neutral category because it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like walking up to a fish that's mm-hmm. living in a lake and being like, hey, fish living in a lake. How do you feel about Mitt Romney? It's like I don't have any opinion. I mean, I hate capital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the fish is like. Well, actually, I think that his policies are extremely. Pro- no, hello, my honey. Hello, my sweetie. Yes, no. It's, it's you know. Why won't I mean, you I talk in front of anyone else, fish? Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I get for uh, trying to work a metaphor into things. All right. What's no. your metaphor? Yeah. Here, here's 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 what I, here's what I'm getting at. I don't care because the new Fifty Two was a good idea, but after reading a bunch of stuff, I've you know most of it wasn't for me. I like Animal Man, but I'm behind on it, so I still haven't gotten to the zero issue. So the one zero issue that I kind of wanted to read, I haven't gotten to. So okay. neutral. Okay, Zach. What about you? Uh, I read like eight issues. Uh, which is a couple more than I usually would read DC books in a month, mm-hmm. uh, just because I wanted to see uh, what some of the books were doing. And some new series started, so I picked up the Talon one mm-hmm. and the Phantom Stranger. Mm. And uh, I liked the Talon one. The Talon was pretty cool. Um, overall, I wasn't really excited that they were doing it. I felt like, well, this is just going to ruin... St- like, why can't you just go to the next... Why can't you just go to 13? That's what I really wanted to do. That's what I'd have liked. Uh, but overall, I only read a couple ones I really didn't like. Like, uh, what was that stupid Liefeld book I re- reviewed last Grifter? week? Grifter. Yeah, Grifter. Didn't like that one. Um, Grifter. Grifter. But you, Grifter. I mean, it could have been a lot. I feel like it could have been a lot worse with timelines, and I feel like there were some timeline hiccup thingies probably somewhere. So. So what are you? Love it? Um, Hate it? Neutral? I put put neutral because I didn't really care they were doing it in the first place, but I still read some of the books. All right. I guess for me, if you're going to do a zero issue, and depending on 
it's numbered number zero, so technically it should go Before first. It should first go for one. number one yeah. if you're filing cattle. How are you guys gonna? How do you guys do that at the uh, store, Matthew? You putting the zeros in the front? No, I put the zeros where they go. And the, so you go by the release date. So if the if the zeros came out chronologically between twelve and thirteen, that's where they go. All right. Um, to me, a zero issue is this came before number one. So we're going to yeah. tell you mm-hmm. that all important bit that should lead you into the first issue. Uh, they should not be a continuation of the story because that defeats the purpose of having a zero issue. Yeah. So it should not go from twelve to zero to thirteen. Because then you might as well just go with, like, I don't know, why don't you just go with some kind of a point n- numbering system? Oh, yeah. That makes Yay, perfect Bible. sense. That sounds smart and intelligent. <laughs> uh, the story should also not be the end of a series, which <laughs> happened in a couple of places. It should be, again, a hook, and this is what it was, a gimmick, to say, hey, we got all these zero issues, here's a great jumping on point. It should be a great jumping on point. But the number of books that I read, I read and I was like, you know what, if this were my first introduction to this universe... I have zero interest in reading I see what you did any there. of the issues going forward. Um, there were some good stories, and typically the better books tended to have a better zero issue. Uh, but overall, I just thought that there was more bad than good in what DC had to offer this entire month. So that's what I went with. Matthew, what about you? Well, I think the primary thing that has to be stated is that it was a stunt. It was a sales sure stunt. Was. Yeah. Sure was. And it was done, you know, 12 months to the day after their last big sales stunt. So as problematic and frightening as that concept is, I think that it did what it intended to do. You know, the the Flashpoint, the big New 52 relaunch was a very, very bold move to try and get everybody going, oh, my gosh. And this was an attempt to try and, you know, recapture some of that lightning in the same bottle. There was a lot of good to be had. They never said the zero hours were going to be origins or zero stories that came before number one. They just said you'd get more input or you'd get backstory, which generally meant origins, but didn't always. The Firestorm story took place after 12. Yeah. So did Green And would take place, you know, and lead into 13. But overall... I felt like it was good, but it could have been better. And I think that it defeats the purpose of a lot of things to go, well, I thought they planned this out in advance and their timeline isn't working. And this story doesn't work because Batman couldn't have been active seven years ago. Was it a good story? I don't know. Okay, well, here's my question then. When it comes to the zero month, what did they want to do? They wanted to get people talking. They wanted to get sales back up. They wanted to get us all going, hey, look, here's here's some effing comic books. And I think that they did that. And I think that a lot of it was very well done. I really like Sword of Sorcery. There were a few books that I thought were pretty awesome. There were some, God help me, uh, I, I reviewed Savage Hawkman, which was better than I thought. I reviewed something that I gave like one star. But overall, it was good, could have been better. But I'm not entirely sure that in the current climate, both from the the publisher and from the fans, that it was going to be a whole lot better than it was. I'm just I'll be interested to see what happens when we get the the sales data, because I really going to I'm interested to see if there was a rise in comics from the month before. If the zero issues actually attracted or brought in new readers, if it did, anecdotally then speaking, great. I can tell you there was a bump at my store. Well, good. I mean, that's good. I mean, if that's what happened, great. I wish we had some, um, um, you know, uh, regular market, not direct market stuff. I wish we had some digital download data so we could see what happens. But again, if this was a stunt that bumped up 
the entire reading public, then great. And if it continues into next month, even better. Um, but as far as the concept of the zero issue, I I don't think DC spelled it out clear enough, and I well, and, and, and it ended up stumbling I, I, more I, than it was a success. That I think. was probably as far as the. I think that was that could have potentially been on purpose. I mean, if you think about it, think about all of the big crossovers, all of the big events, either things that spill out onto all the books or things that are just actual crossovers. Mm-hmm. Like there are sometimes books where it just in no way whatsoever does like it just does not work at all. Right. So at least this time DC gave the writers enough leeway to say like, oh yeah, for the zero issue, do a thing with it. Mm-hmm. Like if mm-hmm. you feel like it, do it. If not, don't worry. Someone else is drawing the cover for you today. Yeah. Make it feel zero y. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh smarking out Adam says I've never been a DC guy. Everyone is too overpowered, so I'm neutral. My main problem says Kirby, is that it interrupted pretty much most of the stories that were going on. Also, most of the time, from what I read, it seemed overall pointless, and for all one good issue, there were two meh to bad ones. Um, Jason B. says, I was really disappointed by how they mangled the timeline of Batman's origin. Um, Let's see. I didn't enjoy it very much, said Arctic Phoenix. Joe M. says, a unified concept of issues. It was a bust. Some were flashbacks, others were not. Some were jumping on points, some were not. Uh, Ryan King says the comics that were already well-written had good zero issues. Amethyst was a very nice surprise. Um, George W. said, I barely read any of them. Um, but what he says, but after hearing and reading the reviews of the zero issues, I can't help but feel that they were, that there were more bad than good. I mean, how often does a comic uh, book reduce Steven to tears like Ravagers number zero did? <laughs> mm. Uh, Catwoman was probably the most confusing book I've read in a long time, says in. Uh, Chris Wilson says, I use this as an opportunity to try out some new books and was pleasantly surprised by some. Main disappointment was the inconsistency in what they were trying to accomplish. Not every issue was a jumping on point, etc. Um, and I, we're just going through this. Um, Eli says the entire thing was silly. Those are some of the people that commented over at Majorspoilers.com. Matthew, how does the uh, Major Spoilers Nation vote at this point in time of this recording, this slice of infinity? <laughs> this temporal slice this here this now but a different here and a different now but different only in a temporal way Uh, 148 votes i'm showing not surprisingly 40 percent don't care either way i have always stated on the internet and this is not a shot at you Stephen. i think you do a good job at giving anyone the option to say i don't care is just like asking people to say ignore me so uh, 28% leading, it was good, could have been better. 18%, there was more bad than good, and actually a tie at 7%, or about 10 people apiece saying, I loved it and or I hated it. And I think that that balance kind of shows that maybe, at least for our readership, that this was kind of a balanced sort of thing from DC. I mean, well, there's going to be a portion he- of people who hate whatever you do. Well, if you right. turn this graph on the on its side, you got a bell curve. Mm-hmm. You got a perfect oh, yeah, bell curve absolutely. for everything. Yeah. So it, I, you, you know, do. I honestly thought that there were going to be I mean, uh, a lot more people saying that there was more bad than good for a company. This. For a company, obviously, you wanted to skew towards I liked it. Right, right, right. But yeah. um, for a, a major event, really, which is what it was, um, yeah. the fact that most of the uh, that 
<laughs> that the response was not overwhelmingly bad right. is, a, yeah. is a win in DC's column. Yeah, yeah. If, oh, yeah, if you chuck out the 40% of the people who said they don't care either way, we're looking at basically more than half, 35, you know, 35% yep. of the overall people saying yes as opposed to 25% saying no or mostly no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so that's a 10-point difference with a 3% margin of error. I think at this point we can predict that DC Comics wins the presidential election. Woohoo! Woo! Batman president! Again. I disagree. <laughs> that was a fish. All right, listeners, uh, if you want to uh, share your thoughts, head over to Majorspoilers.com. And you know what? We are getting so, 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 so close to the holiday shopping season. In fact, I was at the Walmart the other day. Uh-huh. They already, and this was like two weeks ago the other day. That's how often I go to Walmart. Already had their... Uh, their Christmas stuff out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not even October. Love it. Not even middle of September and they had it out already. So, woohoo, let's hear it for commercialization. Speaking of commercialization, we know that everybody during the holiday season loves to buy stuff, whether it be a cool lava lamp that you're buying your friend Rodrigo or uh, whether you're going to go buy a, uh, a trade paperback for young Zach so he can get in on the uh, the greatness that was comics before the new 52. Or maybe you're just looking to buy a big screen TV, maybe a new Wii U. Um, that's not, not out yet. Oh, it's not out yet. I don't think so. I bet it'll be out by uh, Chris for Christmas. Yeah, probably Christmas. Oh, I don't know. Um, whether you're going to go buy Ooh, some new Doctor Who play. stuff, whatever it may be, help us out. Go over to Majorspoilers.com. Click on that Amazon.com link because I know a lot of people are getting ready for uh, Black Monday. Click on that Amazon.com link. Okay, make Black your purchase, not a thing. and a little bit comes our way. Hey, for in this case, Matthew, we want Black Monday to be a thing. I think it is. We a thing. want Black people. Friday is what you're talking about. Black Monday was the day that the stock market crashed in. We want a Black Monday. Cyber Tuesday. Cyber uh, Monday. Which one? Which, one's which one's the one where a guy? I thought keeps it was ask- Cyber Sunday. Cyber, when Cyber Shawn Monday. Michaels fought the big show. Which one's the one where a guy keeps asking you how he should feel? I don't know. <laughs> Friday, I'm in love. No, okay. I think that's wonderful. Cyber, Cyber Monday. That's I was what going it is. for Blue Monday. Oh, there you go. Cyber Monday. That's what it is. <laughs> Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Click on that Amazon link. Buy, 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 buy. A little bit comes our way. Helps us uh, do all of these wonderful things. And when we come back, we will be talking about more wonderful things, including the sixth gun from Oni Press. Stick around. Greetings and salutations, Major Spoilers. Cat Halo back again with my thoughts on my week. This has been a week of highs and lows. The highs, Looper. Looper is a brilliant movie. It's a rare, genuinely smart sci-fi flick. The acting, writing, and direction are all really quite brilliant. My full review is up on Majorspoilers.com, so check that out if you fancy it. Another high of the week was Doctor Who. I really, really liked it. I found it genuinely quite emotional, to be honest. And uh, Stephen, did you notice there was a possible Rockford Files nod? The uh, private investigator's name was Garner. Maybe a nod to James? I don't know. Also, another highlight of my week, in keeping with your poll of the week, was Action Comics Zero. I know it's, it's old, but I only read it this week. And I found it very, very good. Genuinely sweet, and I loved the art, particularly the sequence with the boys in the cape and the train. The lows of the week, however, Resident Evil. In preparation for the new Resident Evil movie, Ms. Halo and I watched the previous four flicks. And here's the thing. They're all really quite terrible, yet we find ourselves watching them at least once a year. They are a real guilty pleasure. Now, they bear no similarity to the game, being instead shoddy action movies rather than scary, scary movies. But I love them nonetheless. And the new one is no different. Don't get me wrong, this too is a really bad movie in terms of, you know, the story, the writing, the direction, the acting. But the action is wicked cool. 
Um, my expanded thoughts on Resident Evil, whatever it's called, um, should be up on Majorspoilers.com shortly. And my thoughts on all the previous movies um, should be up on my Facebook page, Cat Halo Movies on Facebook. Um, so if you fancy, like the page. You can then follow me on the Twitter, if you want, at Cat Halo Movies. And then check out the Major Spoilers forum, because it's deadly and you really should. Um, another low point of the of the week, just to put out there, is pretty much all the other zero issues, but that's a different story. Um, thanks, guys, and have a great week. Hey, guys, this is Marty Mack in Ohio's Outer Rim. Um, I hear that you might be reviewing um, The Sixth Gun, Volume 1, um, which is one of my favorite books uh, of all time. It's, it's just a fantastic series. Um, but uh, since you guys are probably going to be talking about that, um, I would like to recommend something else by those creators, Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt. It's called The Damned. It's, uh, it's a black and white, and it actually is more of a, a graphic novel. It's like a novel-sized book, like a little paperback that you would find on a, a, a spinning rack someplace. Um, it's, it's a gangster tale around a guy who... Uh, he can't die like he does. And then whoever touches him next dies in the manner that he had died. And then he comes back to life and he's, he's been cursed by these demons that are running the mob. And it is, it's a fantastic story. It really is. It's called the dam and it's just, it's excellent. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, get your, your gangster noir, black and white art and it's it's glorious uh so yeah thanks a lot guys um and uh hope you like the book bye thank you, you so much for it. everyone who uh who called in this week uh certainly we'll check out the uh the other book that was recommended mm-hmm. sounds interesting and listeners if you want to share your thoughts your comments your ideas on anything if you would like to contribute to the major spoilers podcast all you have to do is call us at the major spoilers hotline number matthew that number is Seven eight five seven two seven nineteen thirty nine. The major spoilers. Yes, I'm sure you missed me as much as I missed you. <gasps> Hotline. So, uh, listeners, if you really want to hear all of the little things that are going on, you want to hear who is that really coughing in the background, or who's eating those potato chips right mm-hmm. now? What you mm-hmm. want to do is you want to go get yourself potato a pair of tweaked audio. Tweaked Audio uh, headphones from our friends over at TweakedAudio.com. We really got to work on our pitch for Tweaked Audio. If you'd like to hear all the awful stuff, (laughs) you want to hear the smacking of lips and the crumpling of paper chip bags, TweakedAudio.com has you you covered. You want to hear Zach tuning his guitar. (laughs) (laughs) They've got four different styles, six different colors. They've got some great bass boost in them. uh, They've got these little uh, fittings that you can get. So it sizes into your ear just right. You can even get nice. a pair of tweaked audio headphones with built-in microphones. You can plug this into your phone. You can use this as you try your side, Rodrigo. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was really surprised just now when you said you can get headphones with built-in microphones. Like, yeah, yeah. so you can hear inside your own head. <laughs> uh, normally, normally these tweaked uh, audio headphones range in price from nineteen ninety nine to thirty four ninety five. But check this out: if you go over to tweakedaudio.com and you buy a pair of uh, really cool headphones like the. Uh, the tweaked parkour headphones with the flat uh, wires. Parkour, mm-hmm. parkour. Uh, when you check out, if you use uh, the code MAJOR, you get one-third off the price. It's over at tweakedaudio.com, and we thank them for their support. So uh, I've been kind of uh, reading The Sixth Gun on and off since it uh, came out. 
This is one of those books that even if I get it electronically and I see it at the uh, comic book store, I'll always pick up a copy because I like what these creators are doing. Matthew and I met the creators uh, a couple of years ago at uh, Planet Comic Con. I think Mm -hmm. they were right around their 12th or 13th issue right around that time. Um, I reviewed the first issue back when it came out. Zach reviewed the most recent issue, 24. 25. 25 last week on the the podcast. And so why not spend some time talking about the sixth gun? There are six guns in the Old West. (laughs) Only six. (laughs) Six guns with otherworldly powers. One that will make you live forever. One that controls the men of the world. Another of the elves. No, wait, that's the wrong one. Um, (laughs) One for the seven dwarf kings. One to bind them all. (laughs) Well, but that's kind of the way it is, because uh, these six guns, one that makes you basically shoots a cannon, Mm -hmm. another one that shoots fire, another one that shoots Mm -hmm. plague death, another one that keeps you young and keeps you from getting harmed. Um, Ghost summoning. Oh, the ghost Ghost summoning summoning. one. And then the one that is the one gun, the sixth gun, actually. The the mind sword, if you will. Yeah, however, the, I mean, they really don't... Do we know what its power is? Yeah. It, is it just to look into it's, the future? Yes, its power is exposition. Yes. Is is what it is. It's <laughs> its power is the it plot. Like, And it's, it's not like the gun magically... Inf- well, I mean, at least so far, we don't think the mag- it magically influences the plot as of the first volume. But, um, yeah, it shows you important things oh, about yeah, the past the future, and important future, things about yeah. the future. So, I mean, and it might be tied to whoever's using it or whatever, but yeah, I mean, basically what it does is it's it's actually the weapon that conveys information to you. Yeah. yeah. Right. It lets you see things just like mm-hmm. Sauron's dark, dark ring. Um, so this uh, story takes place after the Civil War. Uh, we learned that uh, this uh, crazed general of the uh, South uh, had all of these guns and uh, he was defeated and thrown into a, a well on, on hollowed ground, uh, holy ground. And... Um, uh, his uh, servants are coming to get him back, and they want to raise their terrible army and gnash their terrible teeth and gnash their terrible claws. Um, and they need this one gun back. Well, the gun was taken by a preacher, and he went off and disappeared into the wilderness. And uh, the story kind of picks up with uh, people searching for this gun. The Pinkertons are out looking for the gun. Uh, other agents of whatever are out looking for the gun, and they find it at this uh, farmstead. Uh, the preacher gets killed, and his young daughter, not very young, she's got to be at least 18, uh, <laughs> picks up the gun, and now she has possession of the gun, because the way these guns work is uh, they've possession got Possession is an interesting word in this context. Yeah, well, kind of, yeah, because, uh, you know, there's this uh, there's this connection that once you pick up the gun, it is bound to mm-hmm. you, and no one else can take it to you, uh, else uh, uh, the uh, Eldritch powers will burn you and, and do terrible things to you. And now she's caught in the middle of this war for this gun. And uh, and it gets a little crazy, Rodrigo. It's super crazy, yo. Um, so uh, there's this whole thing going on where the uh, the protagonists are trying to get to where the gun is sending them. While the antagonists are trying to catch them, but also trying to advance their own agenda, there's kind of this, like this whole um, book feels like both uh, groups are kind of spiraling around each other, trying to get things accomplished, and um, really just kind of getting in each other's ways. Yeah, more um, often than not, yeah. Eventually, a thunderbird shows up, Which and he's all cool. like, yeah, pretty cool. 
and um by pretty close to the end of the book uh one person has like four of the guns yeah yeah yeah, yeah sinclair yeah sinclair is the one that's uh used to be part of the general's gang, arm gang but decided mm-hmm. that uh, hey he didn't want to get into this uh crazy voodoo stuff and split off and uh, ever since then he's been using the power of the gray ghost uh, to hide himself from them which i'm hoping is explained after this volume because oh, i find sure. that very fascinating isn't um, that an actual historical reference i don't know i don't know i thought I, there was like a general named the gray ghost and that he worked for him or something i don't know um it, it's fascinating it could be a, a, a an interesting bit of this story um, but they eventually end up at the Maw, which is this big pit that has been dug into the earth mm-hmm. where people it was a prisoner of war camp. Uh, but people think yep, that the general has buried his treasure way far below. But what's actually at the bottom of this huge pit is a gate, a doorway, something that can only be opened with all of the guns. And I don't think it's treasure. Uh-uh. Not in the normal sense. No, it's hail, Stephen. It's hail. Wikipedia fact: there is, there was a general named Grey Ghost in the Civil War. Excellent. Well, there Boom. you go. Which side did he work for? I'm gonna. I'm there gonna, you go. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> um, uh, I just wanted to see. You know, these guys, uh, the uh, the creators here, do a pretty good job of of trying to interweave some historical fact um, mm-hmm. uh, of the time period as well as some of the, um, I don't want to say myth, but some of the ghost story type uh, horrors. Legends, right, yeah, yeah, legends. Uh, that occur during the same time period. The Hanging Tree, I, I know, has appeared uh, in a couple of other um, uh, stories. And in fact, the the first time that I looked at that tree, you know, it doesn't have any leaves on it or anything. For those people that have seen the, t- the television series uh, Carnival, there's a tree in the second season, I think it's the second season, uh, that looked an awful lot like that to me. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that made the story a little I like bit more Carnival. interesting Carnival. Do you think they're going to curse here too? <laughs> I don't know. Um... Matthew, what did you think of this story? Or, or fill in some other missing parts, what, you know, characters-wise, etc. Well, it's interesting to me. It's, it's a cowboy tale. Yeah, it is. But it's a cowboy tale that has, you know, overtones of fairy tale and myth. And it's got that whole... I, I don't know if you guys have ever read uh, Fred Saberhagen's Book of Swords. No. Nope. The books of swords have very similar where this this kid finds himself a sword and it turns out that there are 13 swords and each one has a power and he gets all tied up in their lives. And that's what this reminded me of in a good way, kind of that epic storytelling, that weird sort of historical yet post-apocalyptic, bizarre kind of mixing of genres. Well, and that's why I kept joking referring to uh, Fellowship of the Rings because – yeah. That's kind of what we're seeing here. We've well, got I mean, these you, guns that do these different powers. Rings have different powers. There's, there's one gun that rules them all. They're walking, walking, walking. If you've read The Sword mm-hmm. by the Luna Brothers, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's that. it's a similar concept. Mm-hmm. 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 And I, I like that bit. I think that what this plays with is it plays with a lot of archetypes that border on but never quite hit the cliché. And the one thing that you didn't mention was the general's bug f crazy wife. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, She's yeah. got one of the guns. There's there's an amazing scene where uh, uh, there's a huge crash and her arm is shattered and we see no, her she gets lying a cut. there. She gets a c- that's, oh that's oh no later. okay 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 yeah, yeah. with, yeah, with her huge about. broken arm and it's like it's clearly dislocated and smashed and then we just see it kind of go. Yeah, she pops it back into place. Like, yeah, like a Clive Barker story, it mm-hmm. heals itself. Well, yeah, and that's I mean, it something gets... else. This reminds me of. It kind of reminds me of Nightbreed, which is one of my favorite. Well, Barker or stories. or that part where later on she has the gun that uh, prevents you from having any harm and from dying. 
uh, mm-hmm. and keeps you young. And there's a part later on where the heroine grabs a sword and cuts off her hand. Mm-hmm. And right, just yeah. like in The Thing, the hand just starts sprouting all these crazy things. <laughs> And it grows a new person who gross. has control of the gun, which is really creepy. Yeah, and oh, yeah. it's just it's just played off in just like four panels, and yeah. you're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh, god that just happened!" Oh no, no, something else crazy is happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it was her hand that held the gun. See, and that's right, why it right, yep. yep, exactly. But you know, it's it's a creepy story, but it's I think people who look at this and go, "I don't want to read a cowboy story," you're going to do yourself a disservice. First of all, because cowboy right. stories oh, right. can be pretty awesome. Here's, and here's something that I've talked about before: is I'm not a big fan of the western genre. Right? I don't really like the cowboys and Indians shoot 'em up kind of stuff. Never have until you know, probably about 15 years ago or so. It really came kind of clicked for me, and I start to like movies like um, the Bad Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and and uh, those kind of of tales. I saw a crazy one from. Uh, from uh was it korea or china um the good the bad and the, and the weird and the weird i haven't seen that it was yet. really it's good i liked too. it i yeah. liked it i want to i've been meaning to see it um you see um the assassination of jesse james yes that's a i thought it yeah, was really by, the, by the coward what's his name yeah by the coward robert, uh, ford. robert ford that one you know what i discovered this last week which is um the people that i work with watch tv during the day in between our stuff and mm-hmm. uh i i was messing with the channels the other day and we watched four hours of bonanza no nice. boy and I'll be damned if that show isn't good. Well, it was on the air for like 20 years, so. I know, but it was just, you know, <laughs> it, you, it was the adventures of Trapper John and Commander Adama and uh, Pa Ingalls. Yeah, and well, they were I, all no. playing cowboys, but. I mean, absolutely. Very well the, done the, stuff. Yeah, the space opera genre comes from the Western. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of that well, stuff so, going but on. But here's the thing, though. When you start to mash genres together, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, we played uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Munchkin a mm-hmm. few weeks ago on Munchkin Land. Don't really care for that game as a Western. Right. But, and this is a little heads up for people uh, looking into the future, when we combine decks, The Good, The Bad, The Munchkin, and Cthulhu Munchkin yeah. are, wow, are su- is fu- such a fun game to play because mm-hmm. you're dealing with these elder gods in the Old West. And it's very, very cool. That's what this book is is like, the sixth gun, in that we're mixing the supernatural um, horror genre into a Western. The Western is just this setting in time. Yeah. You know, it's the other things that are going on around it to make it really work. And, Zach, over to you, mm-hmm. I think that this works better than that last cowboy kung fu Western that we, zombie Western, that we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. The, um, what the hell was that book? The League of Super. Oh yeah, the, uh, yeah. The, the, I was Heroes of the Weird. Oh, no, oh, you weren't here for that. That was like a week or two before my. Oh okay. My announcement. Young Zach has only been here a short here. while. Yes. yes. Mm. I'm young and young on the podcast. But I will. I will feel this one. Okay, go ahead, Rodrigo. Um, I think that what works here that didn't work there was characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly that book had good concepts. This book also has good concepts. That book had interesting people in it. This right. book has interesting people in it. But what this book did was it gave itself that time to explore it, to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. who is this person? Who is this other person? Well, yeah, and, exactly. and, you know, for that matter, mention their names at least. Well, once. Sinclair, <laughs> and we're going to be bad because I don't think any of us remember the names, but Sinclair is this uh, man that was formerly with uh, the general. Mm-hmm. We meet him at the hanging tree. Yep. Yep. And he's, he's there to ask the dead spirits that are hanging on the tree. They can do whatever he wants. He's got this map, and the spirits are like, this is the last map. We will do anything you ask if you just destroy the map and don't sell it to anyone else. And Sinclair's like, 
You're right. I will destroy this map if you help me and tell me where I may find the sixth gun. Go to find the preacher in the West. And then Sinclair's just folding up the map and putting it in his pocket. You promised. And he's like, yeah, you're right. But this map could have some other uses uh, down the road uh, if this uh, gun story that you told me doesn't pan out. And so you know that he is... You know, not a not a pure soul. For you see, I am one of those anti style yes, heroes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Y'all know what kind of man I so, am. Dot dot dot. So Matthew, going going off uh, same question over to Rodrigo. Did you like this better than the than the other Western kung fu zombie I, western that we did? I did. It felt it felt a lot tighter for one thing, and it felt like there was a clearer concept going on. And mm-hmm. I liked the other one. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like this book had a couple of things going for it in that everybody had a clear motive, not just a character motive, but, uh, you know, you understood why they did what they did. There was the guy who uh, oh, probably talked like Walter Brennan, you know, who was uh, <laughs> the, the, the sidekick. No, no Gabby had, Hayes. Is, what yeah, was his name? There, Billajon or something? Bill John. Bill John. Bill John. Bill John. Bill John. Mm-hmm. Bill you can Billy hear John. these characters in your head. You can hear the general. Maybe I was yeah, wrong yeah. about you, girl. Oh, you yeah, can yeah. hear that. I mean, the dialogue is strong. Everybody has a reason to do what they do. And, you know, we don't have that troublesome problem where characters are major characters in the last arc and they're like, hey, did you know I've been an Indian for six issues? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that worked for me, and this arc, at least, has a clear through line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's the not necessarily an assemblage of, of people, but things happen, and they roll down the hill, and the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and other people get caught up in it, and finally it turns into this enormous, you know, mud monster army at, at the entrance of the gate to hell, you know? That yeah. is fascinating. And the last panel confuses and frightens me but <laughs> why you know we get to the end of this story because there's because something there's a huge going on there's there, a huge it. battle that takes place at the mall yeah and yes. good people die and bad people die yes. in the end they it, the the survivors the gun holders sinclair and the girl who i keep forgetting her name um uh, b b something we will call her b something okay uh and uh, they go to new orleans and that's where they're going to hold up for a while becky becky yeah. yeah uh that's where they're going to hold up for a while um just waiting to see what the next move is now becky has the sixth gun mm-hmm. um sinclair has four or five of the four. other guns. he's got four four, four of four. the other guns and then the uh oh yeah the, the, the crazy woman uh, wife has, yeah, has the no, other gun have. and so we're just kind of left hanging. What's going to be the next move? And during the battle, um, Bill John dies. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he knew he was going to die. Yeah, going he knew he was going to die. He yeah. knew he was going to die. He, he was voiced by Walter Brennan. He was going to die. Uh, but the final panel, <laughs> the final pan- panel spoiler, although maybe not, uh, is well, this uh, is this golem of Bill John standing watch over the hotel that they're in. Mm-hmm. So why is that? Why is that creepy and on- ominous and? It's creepy and ominous because creepy and ominous things happen with creepy and ominous. Oh, okay. Mm. Creepy and, and ominous also, is creepy and ominous. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's an indication uh, to me, at least, that I look at this, of, of the power of the guns possibly starting to corrupt them more. Sure. And I worry about, you know, because they've basically resurrected their dead friend and turned him into a mindless. Well, maybe well, that, that's that, what, that's that, the that power turn, of the gun. Right? That turn was was a really good one. And I saw it coming mm-hmm. 
like I, I had I had a total like power gamer moment at that point where he's like, you know, Bill John is like, Oh, I am dying. Kapow. And, yeah. And yeah. he's like, make it quick, sonny boy. Yeah. And so he shoots him and I was like, dude, if I was him, I would have totally shot him with a ghost gun. And sure yeah. enough, yeah. Th- like ten panels later, you know, mud. Bill John shows up and he's like, blah, 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 and <laughs> grabs onto the general for the final fight. Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. like, oh, cool. They totally did the awesome thing that I thought yeah. they were going to mm-hmm. do. Yep. Right, uh, uh, Zach, what did you think of this story? I mean, you've been, have you been reading this since issue one? I, I'll admit no. that I read the first five, I probably read the f- through the first arc when they originally came out, and then I've just been buying mm. the books one by one, but setting them aside for some point down the road when I had free time. No, the only thing I had read going into this was the issue 24 and 25 oh, okay. uh, so it was like three arcs ahead or four arcs ahead wow so uh i don't think it really ruined the story much at all like uh someone with a general i knew the general would still end up alive just from issue 24 and him being just still captivated and crap. yeah <laughs> oh wait oh, i see funny. what you did oh, there. that was funny mm. <laughs> no i still i still really liked it it's uh it's a fun yeah. Western occult kind of story. And I liked the fact that the guns weren't created by the general, but they've yeah. been around for a while. Yeah, I like how yeah, they that say a, that it's that been around good, since Cain. I like that, that, that was a really good turn. I, I, I enjoyed that as well. So yeah. it makes you wonder, you know, do the, are, the, are the weapons just being replaced by other weapons, or are they morphing into... The weapon of the I, day. I, I gotta, I gotta imagine that they're transforming in some way. You know that. So what would it, they be today? So would they be like Uzis or no? They'd be, they'd just be semi-automatic yeah, pistols. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, they'd still be guns because people still use guns. Right, That's right, right. The, I think from just from Actually, that panel, one of them would be turned into a uh, uh, a forum on the internet. A forum on the, yes. <laughs> one of them, one of them would be like a flash drive. No. Um, <laughs> No, because the I think you know from those like three little panels that we see, I, mm-hmm. I imagine that they turn into whatever the current like personal defense weapon is. So that's yeah. where they were all swords mm-hmm. together, and all that's right. why they're all six shooters mm-hmm. in this story. Um, the the thing about the guns that I was like that was kind of weird um, was that basically three of the guns kill you yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, yeah. their power yeah. is that they kill you so well, they corrupt I'm, you i'm hoping well no that i mean that's not what they that, that's not what i mean by it is like that what their power is yeah their power oh, is, their is power to is kill you kill yeah. you in you know, a more elaborate like a, way like a right, gun right right, right, right. <laughs> so um yes yeah, so they have all the powers of a gun yes um so i'm hoping that later on we will see some kind of thematic importance to what each gun can do mm-hmm. um and i was like okay so I, i'm like going through and like i'm like well there's only four writers of the apocalypse because this like whole disease thing makes some amount of sense but it's mm-hmm. like but there's only four so it doesn't make sense for there to be six of them so i'm trying to like walk through all my numerology things to see if they correlate to anything and i couldn't right. really come up with anything solid um, but I think eventually, hopefully we will see it because I'm kind of disappointed by the fact that literally there's one gun that makes you sick and you die, mm-hmm. which is literally what guns do when they shoot you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it bur- yeah. boils the flesh off. Boils I, I guess so. so like, it's a, fashion. it's a, it's a gun that allows you to get away with murder, except it's in a setting where you can get away with murder anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about the art? Zach? I love this art. Hello, Zach. Uh, <laughs> no, I really liked it, too. Don't sell my jokes, Zach. <laughs> Rob no sold my jokes, and where does he work now? Huh? I'm not sure. I don't know either. 
no, I like the art. I think it was really nice. Uh, time kind of got time periody, and all the I liked how the old 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 people were gray because I imagine everyone pretty much before like. 1985. There was really no color in the world before about 1985 in my mind. Everything was just black and white. Yeah. And then MTV goes on air, and all of a sudden, <laughs> vroom, it's colors. the world just I hate you so much right now. What about you, Rodrigo? 1985, my ass. Oh, I. I thought the art was great. I mean, I was I was really into it. Um, the. The only issue I had is that at the beginning, like the Pinkertons are wearing the same well, hat see, as the main character. Yeah, that's the that's, big problem that I had. That's the that. only issue that I had. And later on, you're like, oh, well, he has a thinner mustache than everyone else. Yes, yes. But other than that, strangely enough, the only problematic character design is that of Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is like really distinct. Really? Uh, of course, the weird thing is though, if you go back and look at some of those old photographs from the time period, if they all, you know, they all had the same mustache, yeah. they yep. all wore yep. the same yep. derby, they all wore the same, you know, black. Coat. Out coat. Yeah. The designs for the original guys carrying the guns were really sweet with the guy like wearing a hood. Oh yeah, because his, his face was face so all rotten yeah, off. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. And the guy with the the armored chest and everything was yeah. was nice. Yeah, yeah, the armored chest thing I didn't understand. Was that a side effect of the gun? Well that's or? what I didn't know I either. Know. That's yeah. I kind of assumed it did because if you're carrying it it made you invulnerable <laughs> and you had this big basic cannon thing that you'd right. have to yeah, kind yeah. of protect yourself yeah. from. That's what See, I took now, it as. See, so. now, if those secondary effects were explicitly the work of the gun, then I could see, you know, Rodrigo's point of maybe their power levels weren't right, so right. off because right. that guy was essentially bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. Right. He had this gun that would kill you like a cannon shot, but he was also immune to the small arms fire. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that does kind of level the playing well, field Well, that's, that's like when the general's wife, she took a point blank uh, gunshot to the head and she sits up and this is just grazed a little bit yeah, yeah. but that's but that's the yeah. gun's power that's the gun, gun that doesn't also power. shoot yeah, and do cool things true. yeah yeah um so here's a cool thing i think i like this uh issue uh series a lot um it's being picked up by the sci-fi channel uh to be turned oh. into a television series i'll watch that will you yeah will you promise i promise right here and right now that okay. when the six gun airs on tv i will dvr it but will you watch it? Oh, yeah, I'll watch it afterwards. Okay, all right. All right, so let's get to some final thoughts, uh, starting with you, Rodrigo. I think that um, this story does a lot of things well. It does the Old West well. Mm-hmm. It does magic well. Mm-hmm. It's got an interesting mythology without relying too much on, you know, kind of tried and true, you know, uh, basically ancient Indian burial ground stuff that you find in the Old West. It, it's like it's carving out its own piece of the fantasy landscape, and I really enjoy that. Um, and I think it's um, well-paced, and I pretty much have mostly positive things to say about it. And I think that even the things that I didn't quite like, it seems like uh, further volumes are going to explore. So once that happens, you can probably retroactively increase my enjoyment of it even more. I would certainly recommend it. I would say if guns or magic or people wearing cool hats are the sorts of things you like, and I like at least one of those. Yeah. Um, I think you should go out and pick this first volume up. All right, cool. Zach, what about you? I really like like uh, liked it also. The Western thing is not my style, but when you start throwing in whatever magic or aliens or occult crazy guns that do sweet things, then I'm more on board for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did some nice story things. I love the final issue with it used double-sprayed sprays yeah, yeah. like the entire time, mm-hmm. which made the battle seem epically... Yeah, 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 that thing. 
Uh, it made the battle seem really freaking epic, mm-hmm. and that was awesome. And I think people should pick up this first volume. Uh, I'm yeah. going to have to agree with you guys. I, I thought this was a fantastic story. Um, like I said, even though I only read up to the first six issues originally, I've been buying the issues and stacking them up. This is available on Comixology. You can pick this up digitally if you like. Um, the wonderful story, I, you know, beyond the just little beginning issues with the art, with the Pinkertons and Sinclair, uh, the art is wonderful. The imagery is great. Um, the stuff that happens between the panels is awesome because that's the stuff that you're putting into your head, and that's due to good writing. Um, and then, you know, there's... I. I don't really think I'd have a problem showing this to a younger younger kid, even though this is a PG-13 book, I think, or a rated uh, teen uh, book. Um, but I really liked it. I recommend it. Uh, I say this is a this is a must-buy book. Matthew? I would absolutely agree. I mean, this is something that, aside from being a good story, aside from being, you know, a good fantasy, kung fu, zombie, western, whatever you want to call it, um, it's well done in terms of comics. The storytelling is amazing. The writing is great. The dialogue is great. The art works really, really well. You can always clearly tell what's going on. And there are moments where you're like, wait, that wasn't clear. And the reason it wasn't clear is because they made it intentionally not clear. So that you're like, oh, wait, recognize this gun? Oh, my God, he just shot him with the, oh, now he's on fire. Right, right. <laughs> it, it's intentional. There is nothing that I went through this book and went, wow, that's really, really problematic. And Drake and Becky are an interesting pair. They're likable. And I'm like, if it's if this book is the adventures of Drake and Becky in the wild, wild west with zombies, I'm great with that. I'm down with it, and I highly recommend this book. Well, there you go, listeners. There's four people that have really said they like the book. It's from Oni Press, same people that put out uh, um, Scott, Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. So Pilgrim. here's another hit. They've got many books that are that are really good. We will probably yeah. review more in the future, but a must-buy. A lot of places you can go get it. You can go get it at your local comic book shop now. As I said, you can get it uh, on Comixology in a digital format. Uh, you can probably find it in some other places as well, regular bookstores, I suppose, if you go to the B. Daltons in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that pretty much wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. A special thank you goes out to everyone who buys something through our Amazon store or who has uh, bought a pair of headphones from tweaked.io.com. Or if you're just a recurring donor, a $2, 5 $10 a month recurring don- donor, we really appreciate that. In fact, somebody just sent over $200 the other day. Well, really want to thank them. We're going to give them a shout out in a future episode. And speaking of future episodes, number 250, I believe we're going to be talking with Raven Gregory from Zenoscope Entertainment. And next time on the show next week, we will be talking about Thief of Thieves. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do, too. And we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. 
away If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little me would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge chance? Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Star Raven reads like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine bee In the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012